Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. I'm Peg Queen, your host. Today is March 21st, 2022. Two years to the day from when I left my daughter Megan in Australia at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm here with her now in Tassie, and after two long years of separation, I can't tell you the relief and joy that I feel. It was the longest amount of time we'd ever been apart, with a grief that was at times overwhelming. There was a sadness I rarely talked about or shared, and I'm not exactly sure why, because I'm pretty sure many of you were feeling it too. Which is something today's guest, Wambui Jugana Risenen, reminded me, that we've all experienced trauma in some form or another. And it's this suffering that connects us and can bring us closer together. But only if we give it the proper space and welcome others in. As Wambui says, until you can mourn, peace will evade you. Wambui Jugana Raisinen is an Ashtanga yoga teacher based in Finland. Born in Kenya and raised in the U.S., Wambui now lives in Helsinki with her husband Petri, who also teaches and their two young sons. Wambui is passionate about providing wellness through yoga and meditation to those actively engaged in equity and social justice. For in the midst of dismantling systemic oppression, we need to allow space for our own self-care. This is part of our practice and the way we all go get our peace. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Here's Wambui. I'm Wambui. I'm a Kenyan-American who's been based in Helsinki, Finland for the past 13 years now. (laughs) And yeah, I'm, you know, the partner, Petri Reisinen's partner and mother to our two children, one who is reading in the background, which is good to hear. (laughs) They are seven and four. Um, and yes, I've been on the Ashtanga yoga path since 2008. And speaking of, you know, what, where were we at the start of the pandemic and in 2020, we were actually, it's funny because we were in Goa. We had just um, finished our uh, month-long retreat that we had been doing at Purple Valley Um, And it was actually my son's, it was his sixth birthday when the World Health Organization officially declared COVID-19 as a global pandemic. So I remember that, March 11th it was. And then we took the last commercial flight um, that uh, Finnair was was, was offering, like um, from... Delhi to Helsinki, that was the last commercial flight before things, airspaces shut down and everything. So I just remember, and we arrived into Helsinki airport and it was very low key. There was not anything, it was calm, but there were just signs from the health ministry saying, you know, be sure to wash your hands and start to, you know, 
uh, do good hand hygiene, but it was very calm and not yet. It was sort of the, it, now in retrospect, looking back, it was the calm before the storm, before everything just kind of unraveled. So, and the now almost two years into it, um, my work has changed my, I would say, position has has really shifted it's felt almost like a really intense two-year meditation retreat but at home in the midst of family householder life while navigating a global pandemic so yeah just a lot of and then of course with the with the, the racial reckoning that has come it's 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 sort of the iteration of it this is not a new thing this is not a new dynamic um but just the latest sort of 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 uprising into the mainstream consciousness with george floyd in 2020 that really situated me in a way that came front and center of how is it that i can was my purpose in my circle of influence, which is the yoga yoga world, and more specifically the Ashtanga yoga world? Like, what is my purpose? Um, what is it that I have to offer? Um, and even before, even prior to that, um, living in Finland in early 2021, a report came out. Um, um, official report eu report that just showed how difficult life is here for people of african descent for various reasons namely work and just general living um, uh, just in terms of racial hostilities be they uh, covert or overt um, and so that actually had me thinking uh, in 2019 you know, who gets to be, uh, who gets to show up in healing spaces first and foremost, and who's left out, like if you go to a yoga room, who is there and who isn't there, and why is that, and what can we do to make it different, uh, and then just in the wider sense of society, whose uh, health and well-being are valued, who is valued, and who isn't and then more poignantly with with George Floyd and and just that mm, very visual display of of state sanctioned murder uh, who gets to breathe both literally and figuratively and who doesn't and being that the breath is something that's so intrinsic to our practice our practices as, as yoga practitioners that mm, landed in a in a in a strong way for me so since then it's it's been just a lot of personal uh, uh excavating <laughs> what are my um points of privilege as well as my points of marginalization and oppression um how might i use my points of power and privilege to uh create greater equity and ease and safety for for folks who are <clears throat> not walking with the same points of privilege as I, and then how might I then advocate for my safety and well-being um, 
based on the points uh, of in which I'm I'm mm, not experiencing and lived experiences of, of privilege. So yeah, it's it's ongoing. <laughs> it's ongoing. Can I ask you about the day the George Floyd murder? Um, we've talked to a few people about the years of the pandemic and that that comes up as one of those really memorable more so than you know anything else that seems in the past two years that has been one of the most impactful moments uh, I definitely in this country but I'm wondering how you felt very personally and also how did you talk to your kids about that? How did you, as a mom, too? Um, yeah, I think absolutely because we were stationary and we had nowhere to go and there were not the usual distractions and just busy, busy, chronic busy, um, that certainly that landed in a different way. Um, and I just, just to be clear, like, <laughs> It didn't end with George Floyd. I mean, it's it's still going on, and that's a little bit the anticipatory grief I felt back then because it was like, okay, is this really? Is this you know, people are awake now, but are they going to stay awake, or are they after the mainstream news cycles uh, uh, put that story to bed? Then do we take the picket fences and all the little signs and slogans people met, put them in the closet, put them under the bed and leave them there for the for the next hugely atrocious act of violence to shake us out of torpor again. So that's a little bit like the, there's a sense of, 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 of anticipatory grief, um, as well as a, a tentative, uh, tentative hope. Um, how I talked with my kids about it? Um, yeah, just I mean, there were so many resources that were being offered up. <laughs> so uh, the books, you know, children's books, um, making sure to have age appropriate, but straightforward, honest conversations, um, introducing the terminology and the words for what they are. And yeah, just just it's it's like a literacy, it's racial literacy. So it's it's really getting the kids to be literate at an early age, so they don't have to unlearn and relearn when it's much more difficult when they're older. And and the conversation is ongoing with 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 the kids. So it's just a part of what we talk about. We have mm, honest, open. Mm, conversations at the dinner table so it's not just when something arises and it's all very big and very dramatic but it's just a normal part of what we talk about and observe and I'm really happy to see my older son especially be able to ask questions and make his own observations and then like one thing I, I really enjoy is you know uh if they're watching just some cartoon, uh, some, you know, obnoxious cartoon that the kids like, I'm like, okay, you can watch it, but you got to tell me like, what's problematic about this. <laughs> and so it's getting them to be conscious consumers and, and critical consumers. So you can like things that are problematic or not necessarily like, so yeah, you can just like what you like, 
and it's a nice practice to be critical about what you're watching and just to really ask questions about it and hey this this might land in a different way for other people and let's talk about it this kind of thing so it's not uh uh denying everything and and making everything forbidden because that's just gonna kids will find a way to what they like anyway so i want to have this sort of open access to things but then it's really just building this practice of just critical consumption it's amazing we were watching some reruns of like during in the beginning of the pandemic we watched like west wing you know it's a great show a great so sexist, so unbelievable. I mean, it, and you're just, and you're watching it. I don't know when that was first came out, maybe 20 years ago, but watching it now, you, you cringe during various scenes because, you know, it, it is so different, but, but 20 years ago, I didn't cringe. Yeah. That's there. It, wasn't thinking critically. I wasn't really conscious of, yeah, those interactions, the problematic pieces of it. That's the part that kind of took me aback was that, what don't I notice now? If that I didn't, if I didn't notice it then, what don't I notice now? You know, yeah, I notice it now from back then in retrospect, because we've grown and we've learned and that's good but what don't i recognize now yeah that's a that's a that's a good question to sit with that's a good question to sit with there's all something that we don't notice yet <laughs> um and i mean it's it's a it's a it's an ongoing process it's a messy process much like the practice it's 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 unfinished and never ending um, and so it's a it's a really good question for inquiry and contemplation. I kind of want to go back into the meditation part, if you wouldn't mind. When you said that the past two years has been like a two-year meditation, I don't think I'd ever thought of it that way. And I can feel that now, especially in the way that I meditate, because it is a hard it's a hard practice for me and so many things come up you know while I'm sitting and this has been like a two-year seated practice where so many things have come up yeah I mean I started at this at the very beginning of the pandemic I started um practicing with Lama Rod Owens who's the author of radical co-author of radical dharma and the author of love and rage and he's, uh, you know, official Lama who took the three year meditation retreat. And it just was such a perfect metaphor because there we were, you know, in lockdown and all what we knew of life as, as we knew it before, all what we took for granted and all the sort of relative freedoms we had gone. So you're there with your mind <laughs> and your impulses and your, <clears throat> your stuff. And you're there in relation to family members. So to say that it's been intense is, is putting it mildly. And, and the fact that it's so long, like it's still ongoing. And so what do you, what do, you do with that? 
uh, it's, yeah, uh, all I can say is that I'm so grateful for the practices of either yoga asana to regulate the nervous system and provide some of that just structural support um, or then just a seated practice or a walking practice, moving practice, life meditation practice. Without these tools, I think things would be much more, much more difficult. So, yeah, I mean, as far as, as, as asana progressing through the Ashtanga yoga um, series, that has shifted a lot um, for a number of reasons. One was also just a conscious conscious decision on my part that uh, I wanted to pursue and, and study further other topics, you know, around just when it comes to unlearning and unpacking, and it involves a lot of reading. So to keep it simple, yes, my practice has shifted a lot. I still do. I still do something daily but it's not always going to look the same and one one thing that really helped me especially in the beginning in 2020 was Miss, michelle c johnson still in action is her instagram handle she was very uh helpful in that it was really contextualizing that never before have we lived nor done our spiritual practice in a global pandemic so what is that going to look like what is it you're going to need and it might look very different day to day. So in the beginning, it was just dropping the question of the question into your body and heart space. You know, what do I need? What is it that I need in this moment? So for sure, my practice has, has changed um, and the energy levels and, and just, you know, having children, <laughs> under the age of, of well one is almost eight but one you know they were still kind of toddlers you know one was six and the other was was two at the beginning of the pandemic that that home new morning till evening it, it's it's intense so <laughs> i've had to shift what my expectations are of, of my practice but i need to do something at least daily you said unlearning and unpacking. Can you explain that? Yeah, unlearning and unpacking all what I thought was real and was reality. <laughs> all what I learned in school was the partial truth or flat out lies. So if you're going to get to the root or the crux of things, it, it involves really like for me, at least for me, I'm speaking from my experience, it, it's involved really just taking stock of what it is that I was taught. Um, and what is it I need to read now. So certainly decolonizing, that's another way to look at it, decolonizing your bookshelf, whose worldview have you been consuming. And it's funny, because I've been thinking a lot about power, and how now, I am of the feeling that we know we know we have the information the information is out there so it's less about having these awareness raising workshops and panel discussions and it's like the information is there it's more the actual action steps to sharing power 
<laughs> and sharing resources to reach true equity and true inclusiveness that is difficult to do. Um, Frederick Douglass has said, uh, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has and it never will. So I think a lot about the nature of power. Um, I think a lot about, and this is more uh, an invitation of inquiry in our spiritual spaces where we, we love the, the feeling, the sentiment of interconnectedness. And we like to sing the songs and chant the mantras and be in that spirit and energy of, of interconnection. Um, but that's really just around our kind of with people that we know, with people who look like us, who share same stories that we feel safe with, that are not going to like challenge us in ways that make us feel uncomfortable or weird or anything like that. And so what does like true interconnectedness actually look like across lines of difference? Um, if we're trying to work for deep inclusivity and equity and, and deep interconnection across lines of difference, we gotta, we gotta bridge some, some gap, uh, like that's a big bridge to cross um, if we're talking around survival instinct. And especially in a time of a pandemic when things are feeling fearful and uncertain when you talked about the actionable steps, that's something that Megan and I were talking about. And we, we were noticing that it's really easy on social media to like a post, right? And it, it says all the right things about interconnectedness or um, whatever the messaging is. Um, and we, we part it, we like it, but you see very little, or I don't see as much true action, like going to those classes, donating to those causes, doing something that actually requires a behavior change and not just a heart. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's the performative allyship versus the actual risky solidarity of giving something up. You know, I, I don't know what it's like to, to, to have white privilege. Um, I have proximity to it because, you know, my mother is, is English and I've had access uh, to, you know, spaces and, and um, but I, I don't know what it's like where all the systems in which we are operating in the world are designed to make you go to sleep. I don't know what that's like, where everything is banking on your complacency and apathy and obedience. So I don't know, I, I can't answer that. Um, what I do know is that, and what I offer the spiritual community who I think as a, as a general demographic, as a collective, there's no shortage of goodwill and good intention, right? This is a little bit part of the problem is that, is that there's a knee-jerk reaction like in spiritual spaces where it's like, no, we're nice, good people who don't get angry, or at least we don't show our anger. Like anger is not good, like mm -mm, I'm <laughs> love and light and happiness. Um, there's a there's a almost a, a, a terror to to 
look and, and see the muck and the mire of one social conditioning, right? Um, a few observations I'd like to, to make are that, you know, if we can depersonalize this, it's not about you as a good person. It's about what you have been drinking and swimming in since birth, since before birth. This is intergenerational programming. So looking at, a, at, at the fact that, that, yes, of course, like if we live in a racist world, then it takes racists to make, make that up. And that doesn't actually say anything about you as a, as a moral person. It just says about the messaging and the conditioning that was, that you internalized without your consent, by the way, I'll say. So that to me then brings this place of, possibility and potential and agency and empowerment that I actually get to make a different choice now. So that's the first thing. You have to allow your heart to break open and for the transformation to happen. Once your heart breaks open and you really see the interconnectedness that we are not separate, how can you abide by any of the effed up stuff that happens at, at any moment in time. So Peg, we've talked a little bit about grief before. If you wanna know how my practice changed in 2020 and beyond, it's, 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 it's bringing grief to the forefront. Like I actively grieve and I actively have practices to support my grief. It's not comfortable, but it's, 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 it's real. And it goes through periods. It's not always like, like active, but it, it, there's space now in my life and in my day and in my seasons to, to grieve and to be like, you know what? I'm not okay. And how can I be okay <laughs> when you're just either directly or indirectly affected by the suffering of the world? So that's the that that that's something that I really um, now center is 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 grief work. And again, Michelle Johnson has talked a lot about that. Um, as well, just the fact that sometimes with all these performative allyship of like liking and this this this, it's not taking into account the fact that like those who experience the greatest amounts of power and privilege, you're not doing anything for other people. Like, okay, maybe giving, you know, sharing resources and, and et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, you go get yourself. Like, this is your, this is your spirit. This is your hurt. This is your soul that is calling out for, relief and and peace go get your peace but that means you're gonna have to walk through it go get yourselves so that's that's just the invitation i would offer folks is that like we can be as disassociated as we want we can pretend that everything is okay we can stuff and we can deny and we can bypass and we can dance and do all the things and go to all the raves left front and center and at the end of the day if you're not actually like walking through the stuff 
liberation is going to evade you. Peace is going to evade you. Like feeling you're part of the fabric. Knitting. The word is knit. <laughs> feeling you are part of the fabric of, of human humanity. It's going to evade you. So on the other side of terror is, is liberation. And that's all that we want. Like that's... <laughs> That's how we might have a chance of <clears throat> surviving as a human species, because it really is that bad. Like our future <clears throat> as a human species is at stake here. So the stakes are high. You mentioned grief and it's like the one taboo thing that you're not supposed to, well, I don't say not supposed to, that won't be acknowledged. You can be angry, and you know everyone will support that you can you know even be afraid you can be certainly happy joyful peace love and light but if you're sad or you're you hold that grief that seems to be the scariest of all emotions yeah you're right you're right about that it doesn't sell workshops it doesn't bring the <laughs> the people to the you know like anything on like jump back jump through. and again like no shade at all like i love a good yoga drill class i love it <laughs> it like i'm doing some right now as we speak just to like beat the winter blues so there's what i'm saying is that there's space for everything but what we see is that that's not where the majority demographic are, are, are voting with their feet. So it really is a shifting of values. And, and again, like how can we ignite the collective imagination where, you know, we would have space. And partly I think Peg is that like, not just in, in yoga spaces, but in, in just collective culture, dominant culture is that we've lost our, uh, grieving rituals like we used to have space as a collective community to grieve and to walk through these these valleys together and it's not that and again it has a lot to do with being uh, uh you know cons you know uh productive members of capitalism <laughs> okay you can grieve for about three days but then back on the job and you're good right you know what i'm saying so there's not space for it. There's not a place to, to actually honor the, the process of grief and the fact that it's a, it's a metamorphosis. There's transformation happening. There is, there is wealth and there is purpose behind grief, like, like we've lost that. And for absolutely in, in our, our um, in the current paradigm of, 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 of what, cells in 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 the yoga world for sure grief is is not up there but that that but that also depends which demographics because i have seen some grief offerings that that sell well but um there's definitely potential for for space um and folk to honor grief in a way that 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 is is I think that's also just a lot of fear that like if I do grieve then I'll be crying for like four days straight you know what I mean so it's like I, I I would offer that I think of nothing or I try to think of nothing as the binary like it's either on or off it's more like a spectrum 
I think there is also just a lot of, of, of misinformation or lack of real understanding of what grief and grieving is and what you do at a grief workshop. Because most people, I don't know, might think, oh, I don't want to go there and cry and just share my deepest truths in front of a bunch of strangers. So, so that, it, that takes a bit of sort of holding and creating that container about what's to be expected if we're to grieve. Oh, yeah, you don't want to be the down. Right. Like, I, I can <laughs> just first, first off, I would never go to a grief work workshop. Like that would be the last workshop I would ever, and yet would be, have been deeply grieving mm. and been experiencing. But I think culturally, it's like you grieve mm. alone, you go off, you know, you come back when you're happy, you know, depends like you, which culture, right? depends which culture, depends mm. whose culture, because I went to some grief workshops in 2020 and they were so powerful grieving in community via zoom no less but that was with 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 it was actually no it was it was it was a mixed race uh, offering so it was beautiful it was three facilitators one was a white woman and then the rest the, the two were, were black americans and then they had breakout rooms with um um racial affinity groups so much of the grieving work was done in in same race groups um but i i i think that it's very cultural in terms of, of who grieving alone or grieving together and i would even just question that i think if you go further back in history people of european descent also grieved together <laughs> well, I think you're absolutely, I was just saying, when you said about the ritual, oh. I think I'm just thinking of mm, modern mm. day, like, like what you said, I think, I think that we've lost those rituals that supported us, you know what I mean? They're, they're not built in. I, I can't think of many that are built in anymore. And certainly COVID stripped away every bit of those because people were actually you know, dying yeah, alone. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it compounds the already existing um, um, cultural expectation of grieving alone. It does compound that. You're right, Peg. Um, and I think it's, 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 we're not, I am certainly, I didn't receive the messaging that it was okay to, to, to show tears and to cry and that was stuff you did alone like I also received those messagings just to be clear and I think that if one of the greatest honors I as a facilitator can receive is that if 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 we can I can create a, a space that feels soft enough and safe enough for folks to show their vulnerabilities and really to be able to sit and be like, you know what, today I'm sitting with this and I'm not okay. And so for me as a, as a, as a facilitator, as a holder of space, that is, is, is a big responsibility and one I don't take lightly. But I think that's actually one of the greatest gifts that people can, can show and give is, is their vulnerabilities because that's not something you can do so with many people in, in different places. So the idea of vulnerability as well is something that we've really had to like, that has come front and center with all this um, death and dying and, and, and COVID and disease and illness, the sort of vulnerability of life. And that, talk about knitting people back, like 
that is something that no matter what our identities and social locations are, that's something we all go through is the vulnerability of, of the uncertainty of life. We all sit with that. The one thing that does connect us is grief. Like it's fine. We don't all connect on anger. We don't all connect on joy. We're not all, you know what I mean? But the one thing that is the thread that does is we all do grieve and we feel that sadness. And, and it seems like a terrible thing that we've done that we've separated ourselves somewhat um, from that and made it not okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it is because grieving is, 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 and, and with joy and everything and, 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 all, and all those things, but grieving is such an integral part of the, the human uh, experience. Um, just the maturation of the human heart and spirit, it can't be done without grief. So it, it's such a, it divorces one from the very rich compost that's available. Um, and so the, you see, you, you see these kind of survival mechanisms and what's actually like trauma responses of, of, of avoidance and, 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 and just deep, 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 deep separation. Um, what I will say though, is I, I, I also saw speaking of being connected by grief, I, I, uh, read or saw somewhere recently was that, um, we're also all connected by trauma. And so it doesn't matter, like it, 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 it happens to like money can't keep you protected from that. Nothing can like it, it, it's it's something that that happens across the board of, of human experience. And just to be clear, like money can like give you the, the therapy and the, all the all the things to, to help you work through the trauma and, and these kinds of things like these resources. But the fact that it doesn't matter like which zip code you live in or which um, school you went to is that trauma is something that's intrinsic uh, uh, throughout. And maybe that goes back to Peg, what you were saying about grief is that, you know, because then grief is acted out in weird ways that, you know, further compound the trauma so yeah if we're not if we're not if we're not somehow resolving and dealing with it then it's gonna just keep playing itself out so there we have it you used one of my favorite words composting what's that composting. yeah <laughs> rich there's richness to it yeah and it's in the dark and it takes time, but the good stuff comes and out of it's there. in the dark. And that's another thing I want to say. I don't know if you're going to keep this in the recording, but it might be useful is that, um, you know, with social media and things being so quick and, and people feeling like they need to be relevant and look like they know what they're doing and, <clears throat> excuse me, they're doing the right thing. <clears throat> the one reason with performative allyship is is that I mean yeah it could be that people are just doing it to, to to be relevant and stay with the culture and look like they know what they're doing but for those who are like meaning well and and, and wanting to 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 do the things um is that it takes time like you were talking about composting like allowing your heart to break open and be transformed and it, it takes time 
And so that's one thing I was sitting with in 2020 is, is the, the, the dynamic tension of the urgency of wanting um, police brutality and state-sanctioned murder to not be a thing. We don't need another Black person to lose their life for us to know <laughs> the issues. Like, so there's that urgency and there's that rage around that. Um, and knowing that, that, that true deep transformation, it needs time. So there's a lot of dynamic tension sitting with that. So that's where the heartbreak and the grief work also helps is, 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 is mourning the gap. That's another nice one is where you mourn the gap between how things could be or you would want them to be and, and how they are. What would you like to see going forward? What would you, what do you, where do you see, where, how has your place in the world shifted your vision for you and your vision of the world? Yeah, I'd like to see, I feel like I have my internal world side, which is with the yoga, which is with the meditation, which is with talking with my ancestors and lighting candles and just contemplating and being alone a lot. <laughs> um, so I have that side. And then I have the advocacy side of being in community with people who are really front and center in, in, in pushing back against systemic institutional violence. I would really like to see those two worlds come <laughs> together. <laughs> um, in my bio, it shows, you know, I'd like yoga spaces to participate more in social change conversations and dialogues. And I'd like those doing activist work to be able to refresh their spirits in yoga spaces. Um, so I see that sort of marriage of the two happening at some point in some shape and form. As far as Ashtanga yoga spaces go, I, I would really like to see, you know, what is it that we are offering as yoga, as Ashtanga yoga workshops and on retreats, like you could have your Ashtanga practice in the morning and then who is being featured in the lectures? What are the topics we deem to be relevant um, for that particular community? Uh, and so <laughs> I'd like to see, you know, in the future, hey, let's offer a workshop on grief and, and not have people unsubscribe and run away, but actually be like, hey, this could actually be, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'd love to see that. And just to know that we are so fortunate in Ashtanga Yoga to have this incredibly beautiful and transformative um, practice that can hold a lot like we actually take on a lot of sensation in our asana we take a lot on and we process a lot there is a certain element of of, of aliveness when you when you feel when you feel your muscles and joints and the depth the depth the depth of your inner experience so that can just these are skills these are transferable skills that's what i'm saying
thing. <laughs> so the fact that we think we can't process grief around racial conditioning or grief around uh, sexist conditioning or grief around our fat phobia or anger around any of these things like that, I'm going to I'm going to just push back a little bit on because we love, we crave that, whatever it is that takes us to the mat every morning, going through these incredibly uncomfortable postures, <laughs> what gets us out of bed, out of the comfort and warmth of our bed and into the, onto the adventure of our mat, like that's, we're good with that. And so I just would like to see us be good with the other stuff too. Today's episode of the Ashanga Dispatch podcast was edited and produced by Megan Powell. Music is by Mark Pilly. Join us this year on The Path, a unique practice space that includes a beautiful monthly journal, ideas for home practice, recipes and rituals, as well as a live online gathering to connect and support each month. To join or for more information, please visit ashtangadispatch.com. And again, thanks for listening.